Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. So glad you're with us for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We've got good, bad, and crazy martinis for you today. And, you know, if you went to college and you went to class and your professor said, I hope you did your required reading today. I hope you did, because everything we're talking about today, uh, Jim talks about in the morning jolt, but we'll obviously go in a number of different directions on these stories today. But let's start with the uh, good martini. And uh, there's perhaps no one more interesting on a number of levels uh, in in business and in politics and social media today than Elon Musk. He obviously made a huge splash a couple of weeks ago when he became Twitter's largest shareholder, spending a ton of money to gobble up 9.2% of Twitter stock. They offered him a board seat, but then he saw the strings that were attached to that. So he declined. So now he just wants to buy the whole thing. Here's Hoda Kotb on the Today Show explaining. Billionaire Elon Musk, he's offered to buy Twitter for more than $40 billion. The offer comes just days after Musk revealed he owns 9.2% of the company. But days later, he rejected a seat on Twitter's board. Musk, who has frequently criticized the social media giant, says Twitter needs to go private to see effective changes. So, Jim, I, I am fascinated in a number of ways by Elon Musk. I, I do think conservatives sometimes are way too quick to uh, absolutely fawn all over the guy. I do love what he's doing on free speech and Twitter and that sort of thing, but I think he's way too cozy with China, and I think you've pointed that out in the jolt among some other things. So, uh, But but watching <laughs> watching the left uh, light their hair on fire over this has been pretty fun already today, and maybe we might get some equal treatment of different accounts on social media, or at least on Twitter, if this goes through. The Twitter board supposed to uh, talk about it and make a decision later today. Indeed, Greg. And I guess it was earlier today on the uh, National Review Slack, my colleague Charlie Cook had this observation. The, the question is not whether Twitter should have rules about what you can say and what you can't say. Uh, I think everybody can come up with examples of things that they would say, no, that should not belong on Twitter. It could be everything from uh, child pornography to straight up pornography to, uh, you know, some people would say, oh, you know, you shouldn't be able to put Satanism stuff. You shouldn't be able to put Nazism, you know, uh, anything that's, you know, re- encouraging self-harm, anything that's uh, uh, recruiting people to jihadism or other extremist causes. Like we can all these, oh, no, you should take that down. Right? Stuff that is, you know, much less controversial. Problem is, is that for a long, long time, people on the right have noticed that if you say there are only two genders, uh, there's a decent chance your account will get shut down and we will be, you'll be told that your tweet violates Twitter's pri- uh, uh, policies, that you've, um, you've said something that they characterize as hate speech or, or something they just don't want on their platform. Meanwhile, I don't know about you, Greg, I get that we're going to put you in the ovens from neo-Nazis on surprising regularity. And, you know, maybe those accounts get shut down, but my suspicion is that these trolls just set up another one and just go back to doing it all over again. So... Um, and oh, by the way, you can see all kinds of frothing at the mouth criticism of figures on the right, all kinds of racist stuff about, you know, say Clarence Thomas uh, or even, you know, Candace Owens. And then, you know, if you are a person on the right and you are comparatively nasty to somebody on the left, Twitter will respond with the speed and ferocity of a SWAT team to, you know, shut you down and put you in the corner and tell you you can't say that. And if you had this, these kinds of standards of, acceptable discourse applied to both sides. Okay, fine. I think most people could live with it. The fact that it's clearly so one-sided uh, and the fact that it's clearly 
uh, a bunch of liberals and progressives who think that liberal and progressive speech is just fine and dandy, no matter how nasty it gets, or, you know, you got to get pretty darn nasty before they see anything wrong. And they, they find, you know, declaring there are two genders or something to be inherently hate speech or something like that. So Elon Musk is saying all the right things. He seems to genuinely believe this. No, I'm sorry, Robert Reich. The fact that Elon Musk blocked you does not mean that he doesn't believe in free speech. It just means he doesn't want to listen to you anymore. Now, the di- there's a difference between you know Elon Musk blocking Robert Reich because he doesn't want to listen to Robert Reich anymore and Twitter shutting down Robert Reich because he doesn't want to listen to Robert Reich anymore. Um, you know, one is institutional and one is one person basically effectively walking away from the conversation. You can think Elon Musk is a jerk or anybody else is a jerk for blocking you. Uh, I think there's only one person who's ever blocked me where I've ever felt like, huh, I wonder what that's about. That doesn't seem, I don't can't, I can't imagine anything I've done that deserved that, but apparently I did. Um, you know, but th- this, this is this interesting blurring of the lines. The left has this very conditional support for free speech and this very conditional sense of who should be allowed to say what. I think the reaction and the freak out we're seeing, Greg, kind of indicates that a lot of folks on the left have become very comfortable, really almost used to this authority of deciding, well, you can say this, but I, I can say things like this, but you can't. And I can do what I want and you can't do what I want. I'm a special class. I'm a good progressive. And you as a deplorable conservative should not be allowed to say much of anything at all. Uh, I'd like to think about this is a purchase that, uh, you know, a, a very high purchase price. It's the equi- kind of the equivalent of a hostile takeover. Uh, he's putting, you know, my understanding is that this is basically making an offer so nice that the shareholders who do want to sell would have some legal grounds for the shareholders who don't want to sell, basically saying you're throwing away a fortune and you're doing it because you don't like this guy's ideology or something like that. God knows how that lawsuit would shake out. But basically, it is a generous enough offer that it really puts pressure on all kinds of shareholders to go along with this. Um, now, the other shareholders who don't want to sell could well find somebody else, a, a white knight, you know, some other more ideologically aligned buyer to purchase the shares. Um, but if nothing else, he's created a giant headache for Twitter's management. And the reaction today has just been thermonuclear. Uh, now, keep in mind, uh, I, I think you've, you make, you, you, you know, acknowledge that I, there's a little bit of excessive hero worship of Elon Musk in the last couple of years. Uh, the more he has seemed anti-woke or uh, frustrated by the the limitations on speech from the left, the more folks on our on our world have decided that he's just swell. And there's a lot to like about him. But as you mentioned, he's very cuddly with the Chinese regime, which doesn't please me. Um, I think you can look at his history. He does have some just generally erratic statements and things like that. And so I, I don't think any, he's not tech Jesus. He's, he's not, you know, perfection. You know, there are times you're going to disagree with the guy, but he could put make Twitter a better social media platform. He could make it a better company. Let's hearing, you know, urging him some success, but also really hoping that he did, this wasn't just lip service and that Elon Musk really did mean it when he said, you know, this unfettered free speech is important for democracy. No, absolutely right. And obviously he's a visionary in a number of different areas. If this goes through, we'll see what that looks like in terms of Twitter, but certainly in terms of space, in terms of Tesla's. I'm never planning to buy an electric car, but uh, he seems to have done very well there to some extent with some help from government subsidies. But nonetheless, and he's, he's eccentric. These guys usually are eccentric. I mean, most of us aren't going to name their kid a name that looks like your cat walked across the keyboard. But, you know, that's that's his right 
to do that as well, I guess. So, uh, you know, he just looks at things very differently. And to this point, he's been very successful. But when you look at the First Amendment, you know, free speech, one of the top uh, top rights in this country. And it looks like the left has uh, taken aim at it in a number of different ways. And he's trying to fight back. And so if he's going to live up to his rhetoric on this uh, subject to date uh, and Twitter agrees to this, uh, could be a good thing for discourse in this country. So we will just have to uh, to wait and see. So, but yeah, he's uh, offering $54.20 a share, which some people think is a reference uh, to 420 in marijuana. But he says it's uh, 55% more than the stock was worth the day before he bought the chunk he bought a couple of weeks ago, and it's 38% higher. than yesterday's close. So uh, it's not exactly a chump change offer, and he's uh, he's not going to haggle. He says, take it or leave it, end of the day, and if you don't like it, I'm probably going to dump the stock that I do have. So anyway, you know what else you don't want to haggle over? Comfort at your desk. And Jim uh, can speak to that better than just about anyone because he gets to work every day in the amazing comfort of his X chair. You know, Greg, you may never drive a Tesla car. You'll probably never get, you may unlikely never get blasted into space by SpaceX, but I bet you you feel like Elon Musk if you sit in an X chair, which, by the way, is not connected to, to SpaceX. I just want to point out. When, you're, when you want to feel like the, the, uh, the Iron Man, the Tony Stark of today, sitting in an X chair kind of gives you that feeling. From the first moment I sat in my X chair, my body immediately said, ah, so this is what a real office chair is supposed to feel like. I never actually looked forward to go sitting in my office until I got my X chair. Now, can your current office chair give you a massage while you're working? My X chair can. Can your current office chair heat up or cool down? My X chair can do that too. It's all in the LMAX massage and temperature regulation, exclusively designed and made for X chair. And once you feel the customized support of X chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar or DVL, you will never be happy in any other chair again. High performance, quality engineering, extreme comfort. Those are all the reasons I love my X chair. Now I can't wait to be at work. Sometimes, even if I'm not working, I just sit in my X chair just to get that feeling. Take my advice, try the X chair for yourself, risk-free for 30 days. Once you realize how much better your chair should be, you'll never go back, I promise. Go to xchairmartini.com now, that's the letter X, chair, M-A-R-T-I-N-I.com, or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR for $100 off your order. X chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 per month. One more time, xchairmartini.com. All right, Jim, on to the bad martini now, but I'm still thinking about Elon Musk a little bit. I realize if this deal goes through, he's not actually going to write a check. But can't you imagine just whipping out a checkbook no. and writing $50 billion or whatever it is, $40 billion and no $100 and just ripping it off? Getting the carpal tunnel from all the zeros. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Looks like Jack Lou's old signature on the, on the dollar bill. <laughs> Yeah, you'd have to write really small in the number box over there on the right side of the check. But uh, nonetheless, let's move on to our uh, bad martini. And it's one we've talked about before, Jim, but it's been a while. We have to go back to 2020 in the wake of the Amy Coney Barrett Supreme Court confirmation hearings. Uh, Dianne Feinstein of California was the ranking Democrat on that committee. And a lot of people on the left were not very happy with her when after the committee voted uh, Barrett out for a confirmation to the full Senate, uh, Feinstein had very kind things to say about then-Chairman Lindsey Graham. And, of course, we can't have that uh, being said about a member of the opposition party, especially that close to an election. And so it wasn't long after that that we started to get stories about how Dianne Feinstein was losing it. She was slipping cognitively, and uh, should she really even be in the Senate anymore? And so... 
from our political instincts, you think, well, they're just mad at her and they want somebody more to the left there. Uh, but the stories kind of kept coming out. And then they've been quiet lately, but now the San Francisco Chronicle uh, is uh, giving us an update on this, and it doesn't appear to be very good. Uh, they say four U.S. senators, including three Democrats, as well as three former Feinstein staffers and the California Democratic member of Congress, who they mentioned earlier in the story, told the Chronicle in recent interviews that her memory is rapidly deteriorating. They said it appears she can no longer fulfill her job duties without her staff doing much of the work required to represent the nearly 40 million people of California. Quote, it's bad and it's getting worse, said one Democratic senator. This person said that within the Senate, Feinstein has difficulty keeping up with conversations and discussions. So, Jim, obviously it's very sad to hear that about anybody. Uh, Diane Feinstein, certainly uh, no exception to that. But, uh, you know, the idea, as you point out in the jolt today, is that the Senate is not a nursing home. The Senate is a place where you're supposed to uh, do things for other people. She's supposed to be the one getting the work done. And as time goes on, it appears that's less and less the case. So uh, what's your reaction to this? What do you expect to happen? Well, Greg, today what the San Francisco Chronicle did was a shocking, eye-popping, jaw-dropping expose of an open secret that everybody already knows. Yes. It has known for several years now. And I kind of, you know, it was pre Kavanaugh hearings that he's, that, you know, Feinstein would have certain um, kind of minor kerfuffles. Not a lot of people, it didn't turn into a big deal, even in, in the DC press corps or the California press corps, uh, that she would say something and it would kind of create be a little controversial or surprising or something. And reporters would go back and then she would insist she hadn't said it. And then people would like play back the audio, right? And, and she'd no, no, I didn't say that. And and it was just this like very like you you'd like say, oh, you know, politicians lie. And no, no, this this seemed confusion. This seemed genuinely not remembering what she said the pre the day before. And she was already an octogenarian at that point. And most of us could say, okay, um, this was a bad sign. She really ought to uh, step down and and enjoy her golden years. She's just not up to the task anymore. These stories getting, kept coming, you know, more and more frequently, and it became clearer and clearer that uh, what Senator Feinstein said was not necessarily what Senator Feinstein would be voting or doing. That what she would actually be voting or doing was controlled by her staff, and that what she told you on any given day was was you know at no better than distant cousins to what was actually going to happen. That is a very bad sign. That is, this is you don't have to like Diane Feinstein or agree with her politically to say. This is not a condition you like to see anybody in, but is not someone that you can be a senator for. And oh, by the way, this is California. It's not like Republicans are going to win a statewide race or there's been a long time since they have won a statewide race. I guess it must have been Arnold. Um, and it's unlikely that, you know, they're going to win a Senate race anytime soon. She'd probably be replaced by someone who's even more progressive than she is. Yes, it's possible. And um, but it just didn't seem like any like who, who was being well served by this. And the answer is, well, Dianne Feinstein is being well served. I think she finds being a senator more fun. And to, to the extent she is cogent and lucid, uh, I'm sure she'd rather be a senator than not be a senator. And also her staff would rather, you know, in, keep their insured employment with this senator than have to apply for jobs with the new guy or the new girl. And that's what I think is at work here. I, I thought back to the example of David Wu. Uh, this is the congressman from Oregon, a Democrat who pretty much lost his marbles um this is the guy who had that crazy picture of himself in the giant uh, tiger suit uh and reports of him you know pulling rank to get through a uh airport and campaigning to people it was very his own staff wanted him 
committed to an institution, but they did not believe he should resign from Congress. Now, we joke, oh, my God, these members of Congress are crazy. And maybe you look at Sheila Jackson Lee asking if they're going to visit the flag on Mars or was it Hank Johnson who said uh, worry that Guam was going to tip over. Like we have plenty of dim bulbs in there. We have a lot of people who are wackos. Uh, Jim Traficant saying, beam me up, Mr. Speaker, with a dead squirrel toupee on his head. Like, there were all kinds of crazy people. But like this was a case of he really, really had some sort of increasingly debilitating mental issue that made it impossible for him to do his job. And his own staff was like, no, no, we're going to keep him, this guy in place. But, you know, he might need to be at an institution, but we can't expect him to leave Congress. Eventually, he <laughs> did resign. Um, only after Election Day in a very highly contested race in the 2010 midterms back then. So this is what I think is at work here, and it is bad. And as we go, we can give California a lot of grief next to way to go, Nevada. This is a state where you and I disagree with a lot of their decisions they make out there. But Californians deserve two functioning, working senators, and right now they only have one. Uh, It's time for her to move on and ride off into the sunset. And it is deeply sad to see, and I think it is just an indictment of the culture on Capitol Hill that there's nobody around Diane Feinstein who can say, Diane, we love you. It's time for you to hang it up. It's not good for you to do this job anymore. It's possible. Yeah, I don't know if they are saying that and, and she's resisting or the staffers want to keep their jobs so they're keeping their mouths shut. Like you said, they it's easier to stay there than to potentially move on. I mean, Diane Feinstein's been around a long time. She came up in San Francisco politics in the 70s. She was mayor of San Francisco. Remember, she was on Mondale shortlist for vice president in 1984. Good Jim Jones. Yeah, she's good buddies with Jim Jones as well. And she's obviously been a very reliable liberal Democrat in the United States Senate since 1992. So um, she's been been there a very long time. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, this is not supposed to be a job where you are taken care of. You're there to take care of the concerns of your uh, constituencies. And there might be some people thinking, didn't you guys just make Chuck Grassley running again a good martini? And I would say Chuck Grassley is going to be 89 later this year, too. Chuck Grassley is not having those problems. Chuck Grassley is perhaps the most active member of the United States Senate. He's constantly working on investigations and other things. You can say that at 89, he's been there long enough. He got elected in 1980. 42 years is plenty. You can certainly make that argument. But, uh, you know, this is a guy who still seems to have all his marbles, to borrow your phrase, uh, and seems to have the the work ethic and uh, the physical fitness to keep going. Whether he's got six more years left in him, uh, only God knows. But, uh, you know, he seems to be in a much different situation than Dianne Feinstein. Yeah. And, I, I, you know, I, I'd like to think that if Chuck Grassley had these kinds of issues, people around him would say, uh, Senator, we love you, but you got to move on. This is not not good for you, not good for your state, not good for the institution. It's time to go enjoy retirement. You know, this is reasonable. This is not a crazy uh, you know, like like there are retirement ages for pilots. They they you know if you can't you know they take, they take driver's test, you can take away a driver's license. It is just a a deeply sad condition, but also one that is infuriating because at some point you need to be able to uh, retire gracefully, move on, and let other people uh, go off and and you know take the role that you have been in for quite some time. Exactly. And you're right. Whoever does replace her, whenever that is, will be further to the left than she is. That's almost a guarantee in California politics these days. All right. Let's uh, move on to our second great sponsor of the day. And that, of course, is my pillow. Phenomenal towels. The six piece towel set, the washcloths, the hand towels, uh, the bath towels. Fantastic. Great quality all the way around. Soft, fluffy, gets you dry 
in a hurry. And right now, the phenomenal deal, the six-piece towel set, regularly $109.99, just $39.99 a set. The MyPillow six-piece towel set is made with cotton grown, you guessed it, right here in the United States. Now, some of the towels might feel good, but they don't absorb very well, or maybe they absorb well, but they don't feel good on your skin. They have that lotion-y feel. Well, every MyPillow towel is made from proprietary technology that makes them highly absorbent and soft to the touch. Every set comes with two bath towels, two hand towels, and two washcloths. They're available in a variety of colors and sizes. They're machine washable, and they come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. For a limited time, get the MyPillow six-piece towel set, regularly $109.99 for only $39.99 with the promo code MARTINI. Visit MyPillow.com slash MARTINI or call 800-874-0104. You'll also find deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow Giza Dream Sheets, and so much more. Get your six-piece MyPillow towel set for only $39.99 today at MyPillow.com slash MARTINI or call 800-874-0104. MyPillow.com slash MARTINI. All right, Jim, on to the crazy MARTINI now. And I suppose if we actually had the stomach to watch the view on a regular basis, we would put some of their panelists in the crazy martini quite regularly but sometimes it's just so insane you got to make room for it so obviously this week one of the big stories and the biggest story in new york city was the subway shooting a number of people shot thankfully uh, nobody fatally uh, frank james the guy who had been on the fbi watch list uh, was a fugitive for a while and eventually i guess turned himself in but so he's in custody now but yesterday on the view they were talking about guns and the city and Joy Behar mentioned uh, that the Supreme Court is uh, considering a Second Amendment case. However, Joy Behar's understanding of the branches of government and uh, what the Supreme Court does, uh, let's just say it's lacking. Here's Joy Behar explaining what she thinks the Supreme Court is currently doing on guns. The Supreme Court is, is poised to pass a bill contradicting the New York City state laws. We have very strict gun laws here, and they would like it to be, apparently somebody has put this on their desk, that New York should be an open carry state and an open carry city. With all of the density in this city, they want people running around with guns. People, middle class people will be leaving in droves if that happens. Okay, I almost want to trot out the Billy Madison principle here and say everything you've just said has made us all dumber. You get no points and may God have mercy on your soul. Uh, everything she obviously said is wrong there because the Supreme Court does not pass legislation. That is the job of the legislative branch. And Jim, I actually looked at the case. The case does involve a New York law because uh, the New York law says you have to show proper cause to carry a weapon outside of your home. So the way the New York politicians want it, you can only defend yourself with a firearm in your house. So the challenge appears to be whether you're able to carry a weapon at all outside of your home. And Joy Behar turned this into an open carry mission, which I'm not sure is what the court's considering at all here. So shockingly, Jim, uh, she doesn't seem to appear to know what she's talking about. Yeah, and you may have noticed, dear listeners, this isn't the first time. I don't watch The View. I, I you know, if, if I'm hearing about The View, it generally means something went really wrong that day <laughs> and you know it, it, you can point you can pick on jo joy behar a lot and she deserves it and she gives us a lot of fodder for this uh but there's also Whoopi goldberg characterizing the holocaust as white people fighting white people and arguing that the holocaust really wasn't about race which is not really the most accurate way of describing genocide um 
but what I, I think what would just kind of, you know, I, I saw that example and it kind of really infuriated me because it, it was, I, you know, again, this, the view often has celebrity guests. And so I kind of thought it was kind of like the late night shows, but you know, right now we have Jimmy Fallon, but I grew up with Johnny Carson and then Jay Leno and stuff like that. I thought it was an entertainment show that every once in a while would talk a little bit about current events and, and, but really was not about that. It was about, whoever was talking about their new diet or their new book or their new movie coming out or something like that. And clearly year by year, the show has become more and more explicitly political. Uh, usually they've always had at least one, uh, I think the character has a token conservative, uh, Megan McCain for a good stretch. Uh, I think it was a uh, Jebediah Bila, if I'm remembering correctly, I keep yep. saying Mary Catherine Ham would be the absolute perfect person for that. And for some reason they don't put her on there. Um, but basically, it was this: we have one token conservative, four liberals, and more and more of the show is discussing current events and looking particularly at Joy Behar and Whoopi Goldberg. They don't know a lot about current events. Now, if, if this is because, you know, Whoopi Goldberg is off filming stuff for Star Trek or other movies, fine. OK, but if you're going to talk about current events, I hope you try to know a little. And again, this is not about being progressive. The world has plenty of progressives who may drive me crazy. But they're fairly smart, and it's not even a matter of, like, smarts or IQ. It's a question of, like, have you read anything about what you're about to talk about? Do, do you know much about it? In the case of Joy Behar, she thinks the Supreme Court passes legislation. That's not what it does. It reviews existing laws to see if they're consistent with the Constitution. And if it does not find it con consistent with the Constitution or that it violates the Constitution, it strikes them down, and the legislature has to go back to the drawing board. That, I asked my younger son this morning because I was so, you know, bonkers about this. I was like, all right, when did you learn about the roles of government and what the legislative branch, the judicial branch and executive branch do? And he thought for a moment and he said, we, they, we knew what they were in second grade, but we really got into what they do in fourth grade. Greg, this means that your average nine-year-old at the end of that lesson has a better understanding of what the branches of government do than Joy Behar. And again, it's not that she's liberal and it's not like there are a whole bunch of stuff in this world that I don't know about. Greg, you and I, 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 at the beginning of every show, I, I try to know at least a little bit about what we're, what we're talking about, ideally a lot. And then just, I, I want at the end of this podcast, one of two things to have happened, ideally both. Ideally, you're like, huh, I never thought about it that way. Or, huh, I didn't know that. You, you come out of this podcast with a little bit more knowledge than when you started. Not a lot. It's not a very long podcast. Failing that, and I'm willing to bet there are probably a bunch of days we fail at that. Ideally, we made you laugh at some point along the way. Either it's Disney CTU or we lament the state of the Bears and the Jets or something happens. And, we, oh, that's and that's what makes people listen. And you feel like you've gotten something of value about it. If you listen to Joy Behar talk about what's going on in the news, you end up knowing less than when you started. You have a, you have less understanding. <laughs> you are you are somehow it's it's it's, you know, it, to, to paraphrase that that scene from uh, the Adam Sandler movie, I think it was Billy Madison. You end up dumber <laughs> having listened to her because she has filled you with stuff that's just fundamental. If you want to think the Supreme Court shouldn't rule a certain way, fine. If you want to say there should not be open carry in New York, fine. But it's not the Supreme Court doesn't pass laws. That's not how any of this stuff works. And it's just, you know, if you're if you want to do a show, you want to do a show mostly about entertainment and you don't care about this stuff. Fine. Joy Behar is this bizarre combination of somebody who cl you know, clearly feels very passionate about these things, but doesn't want to know anything more about them. And, you know, it's not that she's dumb. It's that she refuses to learn. And that's what is so mind boggling about it. This isn't the only show on television that does this. But man, oh man, is this this giant glaring example? And I'm just mystified. Like, is the the view 
like a current event news show for people who don't know anything about what's going on in the world or how the government works or any any you know, uh, anything beyond a headline level knowledge of what's going on in the world and who don't want to know is is that what you know and is that a sustainable audience? <laughs> My fear is that it is, Greg. We're going to spend an hour talking to people who don't want to know more. Uh, that's that's, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's that's quite a quite an approach to the show. But uh, yeah, and your point about Mary Catherine Hamm is excellent. She would be perfect for that, which is exactly why they won't hire her for that because yeah. she would uh, she would destroy arguments like that uh, very very quickly. They want a person who is nominally Republican who they can beat around like a pinata. There are also reports, if I remember, you know, uh, it sounded like Meghan McCain by the end of her time there was miserable about it. Like it is not fun to go there and be the pinata for the other four. Um, and it also sounds like, you know, like by and large, thinking back to my days and, you know, when I was doing more cable news appearances, most people in the green room were, were you know, if you're left of center folks were perfectly polite. Um, and in fact, Paul Begala, by the way, is a fascinating, you know, like I, I went into the meeting Paul Begala, not particularly liking him. He's a hell of a storyteller. He will tell you the funniest and really revealing stories about Bill and Hillary Clinton. And all the times he thought they were wrong and all the times they didn't listen to him. And I walked away I'm like, wow, I kind of like, you know, I, I, I disagree with a whole bunch of stuff that Paul Begala says, but he's a really fascinating, interesting, fun guy. There are a bunch of other Democrats who are like that. And, uh, but my understanding is, is that like the people who are, uh, seem like particularly unpleasant personalities on The View, that's not just an act for the cameras. They really are that horrible off camera too. And so maybe it's very tough to get somebody to sit in that chair and be the punching bag, you know, five days a week. Yeah, not surprising. Not surprising. Anyway, a uh, lot to chew on. By tomorrow, we'll probably know what Twitter's decision is on uh, Elon Musk. And uh, who knows what else will develop in the next 24 hours. But we'll be here to talk about it. Jim, see you then. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already and tell a friend about us as well. Thank you very much for your five-star ratings for the podcast as well as your uh, kind reviews. We always appreciate those. Uh, get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play 3 Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Thursday and please join us again on Friday for the next 3 Martini Lunch. The mainstream media does not cover some of the most important news of the day. I'm Byron York from The Byron York Show. In my latest episodes, I talk about how in the Democrats' search for a new villain, they have found their way back to Donald Trump. The U.S.-Mexico border is a disaster that's only going to get worse, and reporters are getting scrutinized for asking really, really simple questions at White House press briefings. Do not forget to download and subscribe to my daily No Chit Chat podcast to hear the news of the day, politics to public issues. I don't shy away from the truth. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.